Welcome to your Drive Time News Blast. 30 minutes, 45 for patrons, jam-packed with news of the day from a perspective of truth, liberty, and justice. This is Monica Perez. I'm Brad Binkley. Today's top story, Trump is absolutely the dictator everybody feared he was going to be. He's bringing down central control. He's the, not really the dictator, it's the strong man. The article I was reading in the Wall Street Journal, the first line is Trump is centralizing control, et cetera, et cetera. So what he's saying is he's telling the governors it is in the federal government's control when this thing gets locked down, when America reopens. He's really throwing down the gauntlet there. And I anticipate that he will have a showdown with Cuomo and that Trump will win because this is all about centralizing power at the top. You just mean a public showdown with Cuomo. You don't mean Cuomo's going to jump in and run for president? I don't I wasn't thinking about that. I was thinking about that it will be the battle between federal power and state power and that yeah, yeah. Cuomo will look like the strong man. He's setting himself up to be the guy who draws the line in the sand for New York against Trump. But he will capitulate for the good of the country or because some Supreme Court ruling or indication that all of this is about how, I mean, the government, by exercising power, it asserts the power. And you have to actually take it back in order to reassert your power. That's why I want to march on the 4th of July. That's why I want to defy this stuff a little bit so that we can draw a line in the sand. So an example is when the UN treaty was signed, a book I read was Peace from the People Who Brought You, Korea and Vietnam. And he talked about the UN treaty is totally unconstitutional. We shouldn't be a member of the UN. Their law cannot trump our law in a way that we are not even allowed to have constitutional law. So like you can read the constitution, it says treaties trump other law, but it doesn't trump the scope of the Constitution. But by not standing up against it and asserting that it's unconstitutional, the entire world has built reliance for 60, 70, whatever years on that agreement because we've basically deferred. It's this idea that silence implies consent. It's not logically true. It's not morally true, but it is reality. So by allowing this, when they, when they, use emergency measures to make Leviathan. It's the classic Bob Higgs crisis and Leviathan. Crisis makes Leviathan big government bigger, and it never goes back. And Trump is the, he's the one who's doing it, and Cuomo will play his role, I think, but the feds have to win this. Yeah, there's been this kind of, not battle, but with the state saying, well, We'll do this or another state saying we'll do that and then them becoming more and more uniform as we move along progressively. So it's almost coming to a point where it's like even when the federal government isn't imposing that, the state governments are falling in line anyway based on the suggestions, the repeated propaganda suggestions of people like Fauci and others. And there's two two things that are happening with the states that are really important. One is this is this is similar to where when you have a gun problem, like a mass shooting or something, you can often find that this person got the guns legally in another state. And that demonstrates that states' rights are not appropriate for something that can infect other states against their will. This similarly can literally affect other states against their will. Plus, the Fed, 
Federal Reserve, I really want to get into. Did you say the, infect? Infect, Other states yeah. is good. Nice. Yeah. Nice thank touch. you. <laughs> so the thing with the Fed is, I just want to explain, not right now, what maybe we get a little deeper, what, what it means to have a debt-based currency. But one thing that the Fed is doing right now is it's buying $500 billion worth of debt from state, local, and municipal governments, which is unprecedented, and it will allow state, local, and municipal governments to never kind of go bankrupt again, which means they will never, they will have unfettered spending forever. But because they then have to rely on the federal government to get bailed out, the federal government is going to tell them what they can and cannot do with the money or how they can or cannot control their own laws. So the states are basically abdicating their power, I think, intentionally, simply the fact that governors haven't asserted their power by defying the government, but the federal government. But the thing is, it's all a setup because the propaganda is controlled at a higher level. So you could say, if you're one of the people who believes that this is a truly unique, more infectious and more fatal disease than anything else that we normally experience during cold and flu season. I have yet to be convinced by any statistical evidence of that or personal experience of that. But you can either believe it's that or you can, like I do, believe it's primarily a propaganda thing. No matter what the truth is, if you step out of line the powers that be who want everyone to be on the same page will make sure that they make an example of you. Yeah, anybody who doesn't fall in line becomes that example. And so the libertarians who want to take a last stand, I'm totally with you, but but be ready for it to do the opposite. It's like, why would, why would terrorists do 9-11 and bring endless war down on their heads forever? It's, it's, you know, you're just going to spark a reaction that's going to make you less free. But I mean, do it. Like, let's, let's just figure something out. March, for the July March on DC, let them lift their thing and then immediately reassert our rights instead yeah. of letting crisis and Leviathan expand forever. But lifting the thing, how it's going to be lifted, that's going to become challenging because they're saying now that there could potentially be 18 months of rolling shutdowns and the lifts are going to be determined based on, we talked a little bit about this last week, these antibody tests. And if you don't have an antibody test, whether or not you've been vaccinated, if and when a vaccination comes out. And so, people are saying that they're being tested positive twice. Right. There are so articles that, of that. There's uncertainty around that, too. So they're talking about maybe allowing some of the areas that aren't as affected, aren't as infected, to open up, or maybe letting people who are not as vulnerable, who are in essential services, come out. So it's all these requirements. It's going to be, it really, it doesn't seem like everything is going to be opened up for a long time if what they're saying is true. Plus, you'll recall that in the beginning, Trump said, don't test a lot. Save the tests. There's a shortage of tests. Don't test, don't test, don't test. Now they're saying, let's test everyone. And if you read that great article by David Crow about COVID-19, David Crow, who we did a fantastic interview with last week called The Infectious Myth. It's on thepropreport.com. And anywhere you listen to Propaganda Report, you probably have it in your feed. But I also linked on our website, thepropreport.com, his article about COVID testing. And basically, it is it is absolutely, it is a majority false positives. Like the positives are just, the test is so fundamentally flawed that 
if you test, this is what, what's interesting about it. If you test, like in the beginning, they were just testing people who were symptomatic. Now they're testing everyone. So you would assume that the people who are symptomatic should have like a 90% positive rate of all people tested. Almost everyone should be positive. And now only like 10% of the people should be positive because really only 10% of the people actually have it or even 50% or whatever. But it's not that. It's absolutely in lockstep. You get a certain percentage of positives for however many tests you do. So that A underlies or underlines the fact that the test is not inherently valid and also demonstrates that they can control the positives by controlling the testing. Well, Dr. Fauci would disagree as they would say that it's a bunch of false negatives that are happening and there's more cases of coronavirus than we could ever imagine. And when he was asked about if the measurement requirements and these testing, the the fact that the tests aren't that accurate, if that could lead to these statistics being padded as opposed to being undercounted. And he responded by basically saying there's a lot of misinformation out there that's really getting in the way of us making America safe and protecting Americans. We can, it's not the time now for conspiracy theories. We can look into that afterwards. And he has a history of running fear squads for the AIDS epidemic. I mean, they were called fear squads where the goal was to scare the shit out of people, whether or not you think that the accuracy of what he said back then is true. The intended goal of the fear squads is to use propaganda and fear to scare the shit out of people. Couple of things. One is, yes, that's a thing that we were talking about last week that I've actually seen identified when I was reading this nutrition textbook is that we, they said that we actually like to propagate false information because we feel like it will end up in better outcomes. So if you tell people little exercise is good, even though there's no, I don't know if this, this is just a made up example, but like we'll tell them a little bit is good because we feel like that'll get some people to do a lot. Like they will lie on purpose because it's like the Supreme Court does policy decisions instead of like following the law like they're supposed to. They'll say, well, if we follow the law, the policy that results will not be desirable. So that's when the Supreme Court ends up kind of legislating or really amending the Constitution's policy decision. I think they do that in health. That's like a policy decision, not a science decision. But when I was talking last week about Fauci and the AIDS thing and how he was making recommendations that were not clinically supported, I was referring to a spin article that Dean had tweeted at me by a woman named Celia Farber. And at the same time, I didn't realize this, but JJ, uh, JJ in the UK, not JJ Boogie. We have two friends of the show named JJ had DM'd me an article from uncoverdc.com by Celia Farber, recent one called was the COVID-19 test meant to detect a virus? And she recounts a lot of her research and then the article from spin back then, not, not for Fauci, but because she was talking about this guy, Carrie Mullis, who was a Nobel Prize laureate, he wrote the intro to the book I'm reading, Inventing the AIDS Virus by Peter Duesberg. And she in there were a couple of interesting quotes that she had recounted from back then. One was that <laughs> that Carrie, I should find the quote, but that uh, this guy, Carrie Mullis, said, uh, Dr. Fauci, because this was an AIDS discussion, is a complete asshole. And I think you should follow me with cameras and I'm going to hound him down in a in a um, parking lot and accuse him of malfeasance, make him explain himself, ask him questions that nobody asks him. And then at the end of the article, she refers to David Crow, the 
great, the interesting virology researcher we uh, interviewed last week on the infectious myth. So all this stuff is coming together, this real research by people who have real credentials, real expertise, real history. And Fauci, if you dig into him, just uh, he looks like what he is, is a a propagandist. Yeah, he was on Coach K. Duke Blue Devils, college basketball coach, one of the greatest coaches of all time. He's got a podcast where he talks about basketball. Fauci was on that podcast talking about comparing the coronavirus spread with basketball. And he is everywhere. He's on NPR. He's on Fox. He's on CNN. He's on MSNBC. He's on random podcasts. He's has articles written about him. He is hitting every demographic with these different communication channels that he's going to. You know what I was thinking about? The how like baseball and basketball and everybody just completely shut down whether they needed to or not like baseball you could definitely have guys play baseball they're always six feet apart <laughs> like almost you know maybe the catcher and the batter and stuff but or dugout. you have to tag people out they don't have to sit next to each other in the dugout they don't they could line the thing you know i mean they you could get around that you could have them in the back or well, whatever quarantine them all in arizona and have like a shorter yeah i heard that but i but those guys see the reason i think they might have done that is that I think when it's a sport that you play a lot of games, the ticket sales are a lot of your revenue. So if you don't play the games and you don't have to pay the athletes because you're not getting the revenue, it makes sense to cancel the season. But I think with the NFL, there's a few games and most of the money comes from the media, from like TV. So I would I think they might, even if the whole place is still shut down, I think they might do still have the NFL go and play in front of empty stadiums. What is have you heard advertising dollars? That's what I'm saying. But yeah. the the model is different for football than it is for the other sports. So football could do it and still justify paying the athletes because their money comes from me from tra- broadcast. Yeah, I'd be interested to see the numbers on that. It, that's probably the case for all of the sports, if I had to guess. For, no, for that's different. And, no, and basketball. It's not. I mean, basketball's got some pretty some ad dollars, like hardcore. Yeah, it may be. It may be basketball. I'm sure it's not true for baseball, but yeah, that's interesting. They actually started the NBA horse competition last night. I didn't get to. Oh, watch they did. It. I just saw that they started, and it was just like I thought it was going to be. It was somebody. One person had a camera in their driveway and another person had a camera in their driveway and they were shooting shots. That was how the, that's the new sports we get is horse competitions uh, live via remote. But you're not allowed to actually play it yourself. Did you see how they like taking nets down? There was a girl playing alone and the guys that's came in I'm, and just took her net down. Right. Yes. Oh, you're talking about they took an individual. Down. Oh, wow. So they, yeah, yeah. they took all the, she was by the, herself. I know took, they took them all down in New York, but she found one and they to punish her. That's ridiculous. Yeah. So Medicaid is, or Medicare is incentivizing hospitals to diagnose patients as COVID and to intubate them, overdoing other, you know, potential diagnosis. The guy's name is, it was Minnesota State Senator Dr. Scott Jensen. He's a physician and he went, he went on the rounds, did some interviews after he did an interview with a local Fox affiliate and John Rappaport from, from No More Fake News also interviewed him. One of the things that the senator said was that in the cases where a definite diagnosis cannot be made, but is suspected or likely, it is acceptable to report that COVID, COVID-19 on the death, death certificate as probable or presumed. They were sent a memo by the Department of Health that told them the guidelines for classifying something as COVID-19 death, and you don't even have to test positive for it. You could just be around somebody who later on tested positive positive. 
And then if you died and that person later on tested positive, but they were asymptomatic, you can get labeled as a COVID-19 death. I mean, this is not science. Not these are all. not stats. I mean, these are they're costing tens of trillions of dollars right. of real damage, which translates to real pain and death. Right. And that's not even the juicy part of it. The terrible, terrible part of this is that the Medicare, it pays for the patients, pays the hospital, depending on what the patient's diagnosed with. And Jensen said that you take a Medicare patient who is diagnosed with a simple non-COVID pneumonia. The hospital, in that case, would receive a one-time Medicare lump sum payout of $4,600. Okay, so that's pneumonia, flu, whatever. However, if Medicare patient, if that Medicare patient is diagnosed with COVID-19 pneumonia, the Medicare coverage is a one-time $13,000 payment. So they'd get $4,600 for a non-COVID diagnosis and $13,000 for a COVID diagnosis, straight up apples to apples. Yes. Well, that'll skew your numbers. And it goes further. I mean, it'll just, they will just put down the word to always classify right. it as COVID. That's, that makes sense why it would become a default diagnosis. But then it goes further to say, he says, if the hospital puts that COVID-19 pneumonia patient on a ventilator, the one-time payment then jumps to $39,000. That's totally immoral. Absolutely. That's called a moral hazard, actually. And these people were dying at an 80% rate before in New York City and with an incentive. I mean, this is this goes, this is $35,000 more if you tack on COVID and you put them on a ventilator. I mean, that's terrible. That is absolutely terrible. People... It's yes, it's unethical and it's more it's it's unethical. And Fauci's wife is the head of bioethics for the National Institute of Health. Yeah, but it it's is. unethical and it's what's called a moral hazard. It has an incentive to do something immoral. It's terrible. And with this doctor coming out recently talking about how it is his belief that they are misdiagnosing these patients and they don't need to be on these ventilators. While ventilators do have a life-saving, uh, they, they can save lives, but in this case, it's not being used properly, is starting to come out, and then we find this out. I mean, this is terrible. This, this should be investigated. At the same time as these guys are doing something completely immoral and unethical, totally bearing out what Corbett said in the great, to the greatest, oh no, it was something else where he was did a video about the heroization of healthcare workers. The you know the big are you familiar with like on the mountain in Rio de Janeiro and uh, Brazil is a big statue of Jesus with his arms spread. Mm -mm. It's a very famous statue. You would recognize it if you saw a picture of it. It's in Rio. They dressed it up as a doctor. Oh my gosh. On the front lines on Easter Sunday. I could cry. Oh I could gosh. freaking cry. So anyway, that was disgusting. And uh, did you hear that George Stephanopoulos is the, he won the role. He won the lead role. He's got it. What did he He's win? got it. George Stephanopoulos has tested positive for COVID-19. Finally, he got it. He's in the club. He's the guy. He's yeah, the, he's, he's he's the next. The, yeah. He's tape picking up the baton for this week's episode. Let me ask you a question. The first SNL episode happened post, you know, shutdown and quarantine last night. And it was all via Zoom, of course. Of course, it's via Zoom. It was terrible. There was a couple of them that were all right, but it was just uh, audio bad, sound bad. Who do you think the host of that first quarantine show was. 
Tom Hanks, of course. There you go. <laughs> and I did not know that. Yeah. I had no, not I heard that. That's why I had Tom Hanks, <laughs> man, the COVID man himself, from the comfort of his own. And home. I'm sure his his opening thing was not funny. I only watched a part of it. It was hard to watch because they don't have the. It's when there's no audience there. There's no producers telling the audience when to applause. There's no laugh track. You really got to be sharp. Not you know he, some of the stuff I saw it, they weren't bad jokes but it was just right okay so awkward yeah, and different yeah, I will yeah. say this though Bill Maher did something I was wondering who was going to test this out first Bill Maher did his monologue and he had the audio effects he had them put in all of the la- the laugh track and the laughter and oh he, he I wondered if they were going to do it and yeah stuff. and even though you know that that's that is completely not real, fake it yeah. still makes it funnier. Because you hear yeah, that yeah, laugh, I'm sure that like, works. It's it's also funny in the fact that he's just doing that. It kind of adds yeah. to the humor. Can you tell that he's doing it? Is he pressing buttons in front of no, you? No, he's not doing it. Somebody's right, it right, up right. For okay, him. Yeah. 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 So your buddy Bojo is out of the hospital. I saw that he's yeah. making recovery. So we'll see. Maybe he'll have a relapse. He will not. Well, maybe he's definitely not going to be shaking hands and mocking the whole thing anymore. <laughs> ever again for, for sure. the rest of his life. No one's ever going to touch him again. I remember after the Ebola thing, which was like a lot of BS around that, there was a nurse. There was like only a few people in this whole country who had Ebola. And Ebola is like, you know, was absolutely deadly. Your organs drip out of your body, whatever. And But two nurses in Dallas supposedly had it. Yep. In like two or three days after they recovered, there was a picture on the front page of the Wall Street Journal of one of the nurses hugging President Barack Obama. (laughs) No. And I was just like, you're hugging the president of the United States like right after you got Ebola? (laughs) What the hell? That was a concerted, because Fauci led that that hug movement. Yeah, he was going around doing all the infectious disease interviews just like he is now. And he had a very different position. For Ebola? Yes, for Ebola. Okay. And... His position back then was that quarantining these people, these medical workers that are coming back who were treating Ebola patients is draconian and it disencourages people from going over to Africa to help those people. So he was adamantly against it. And to show that he was adamantly against it, he met one of the nurses who came back from Africa, I think off of the plane and embraced her in a publicity stunt hug. You know, there was a uh, a. A movement in Africa, a propaganda movement called Ebola is real, complete with like billboards and T-shirts. And and it was all the whole Ebola is real movement was green, like the T-shirts were green and stuff, which is the MK Ultra like color of of what do you call it? Like mind control. It's very funny. The Ebola thing was funny. Yeah. The Ebola thing was really uh, classic. Another interesting Fauci thing is from 2017 January just before Trump was set to take office he said that there is no doubt that Trump will face surprise infectious disease outbreak no doubt hmm all right so um just want to tell people to stockpile meat pork and chicken have both started closing plants even though at the same time and this is freaking suspicious the new york times ran an article about how food is getting destroyed because it's not getting distributed through supermarkets and restaurants oh yeah you know now like like half food half of all food like that they i have read that ultimately half of all food in this country is wasted like by supermarkets and restaurants and stuff 
So if we have, I've cut waste down to zero, basically. I'm always pretty not wasteful anyway, but it is possible that they just, because there's so little waste, but still destroying food and then gearing up for food shortages reminds me of the Dust Bowl and the Great Depression where they were throwing oranges into the ocean rather than feeding starving people. I just, I smell a rat here. It's coming. Yeah, uh, I thought I found that story a bit odd too. I'm interested to where that goes. I don't know if I have time to get into like the fed stuff it's it's something that i can probably explain pretty simply and people might be interested in because it's what they call arcane i guess so the fed is what's called monetizing debt let's keep it simple so the the treasury the treasury will issue two trillion dollars worth of bonds and sell it out into the market usually that then debt gets on the books of a bank and the government has to pay them back. And meanwhile, the government uses that money. When the Fed does it, the Fed isn't taking money out of the system like a bank would. Banks have reserve requirements, so it's not one-to-one. But the Fed is just creating money out of thin air and giving it to the government and taking the $2 trillion of debt onto its books. At that point, the U.S. government owes the Fed but the Fed didn't take money from its bank and give it to the Treasury. It created it out of thin air because we have empowered it to do so. But the Fed is not a government entity. It's owned by a bunch of banks. So that's what the debt-based currency is. What, what really should happen if you're just going to have a fiat currency, the government shouldn't issue the bonds to the Fed. It should just issue money because it has the same impact. It's very inflationary. So that $2 trillion is just going to get pumped directly into, so say you had $20 trillion of money, now it's $22 trillion to buy the same amount of clothes, stuff, so you're going to have to pay 10% higher prices, let's just say. It gets really nuanced because this could be reflating a debt collapse, I'm happy to talk about that whenever, but let's just say it's purely inflationary. It affects your wages. Your wages aren't going to go up anytime soon, but the price of oil is going up. So you are going to have to pay more, and the but the but the Fed is going to get paid back. Now I say I don't like the idea of a debt based currency because they're just printing the money and they're saying that we owe it to banks, which we should not. So I think we should repudiate all debt on the Fed. Of course, end the Fed, all that. But that's what's happening, and what they're and they're they're doing even worse. They're doing five hundred billion of state, local, and municipal. So they're monetizing that debt and they're doing 750 billion of corporate debt. So they're going into corporations that would have had to compete for debt in the marketplace, which would have driven interest rates up because these companies are wobbly. They were before this ever happened. I think this is why this is happening. They were wobbly already. That would have brought interest rates up, which would have collapsed the economy. But it would have also collapsed those crappy businesses that should be collapsed. It would bring prices down. It would increase, you know, it would shake out the kind of entrenched, flabby companies that take spots up. But instead, it'll shake out the struggling businesses below them who aren't terribly debt laden. And it will support these middle and bigger companies that have been running on fumes using near zero interest rates for 10 years already 
That's what I think is going on. So there's a lot of all of that, all of that from the taxes we pay for the fiscal, from the small businesses that we lose, from the inflation of the Fed monetizing debt directly, and from the fact that our 401ks have just gone to half of what they were worth before and wages will go down, unemployment will rise. Just think of how this is transferring all of the surplus wealth from the lowest echelons, and I mean like 80% of the people, like just the bot, the pyramid is mostly us, to that little triangle on top. Yeah, and it's, it's completely unjustifiable. Crushing the mom and pop shops. They're going to be Yeah, and I think that's the point. Yeah. I actually think that's the point. It could very well be, especially ones that are offline and the majority of their business does not do online sales. And I know there's not many like that, but I know my brother's Oh, a lot. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they do not do online sales. It's very it's you know, a pain old school type business. Do that. Yeah. And it's just, you're right, this is destroying those businesses. And in the patron 15, I want to talk about the testing and tracing stuff that's going on and what they And how doing. about what's happening in Kentucky? I want to hear your story on that. And I'll tell you how it reminds me of the gun grab during Katrina. Yeah. They did, took some interesting measures over the weekend to uh, break up some church gatherings. And we'll talk about that here in a minute. You guys can find your Drive Time News Blast every weekday afternoon at thepropreport.com or your favorite podcasting platform with the Propaganda Report podcast feed. If you want to get access to that extra content that we post every day when we post a DNB, you can become a patron. We are giving a lot of really good quality stuff for just the basic subscription price right now. So if you want to become a patron, keep those prices low. If you, you can pay more than the minimum of five dollars a month but if you're on the borderline do that and you can also advertise with us by contacting us directly at the propaganda report podcast at gmail.com all right guys we will talk to y'all tomorrow <laughs>